0: Welcome back to the Gold Factor Podcast, your guide and gateway to a life of purpose and fulfillment. I'm your host, Bernadette Gold, transformation and high-performance coach, here to lead you through another chapter of my audiobook, The Crooked Path to a Charmed Life, A Clairvoyant Medium's Journey to Embracing Her Spiritual Gifts. Now remember, each episode of season one is a new chapter in the book as we traverse the realms of the scene and the unseen. So let's dive in and continue our adventure together. It's time to think bigger, feel deeply, and act boldly. Chapter 19, Hidden Darkness. As I began to experiment sleeping for two hours, wake and study for two hours, my gifts began to strengthen. I was learning and retaining information so much better. My dreams were lucid, and I could consciously react to things within my dreams, knowing I was dreaming. Even more important, I was healing a lot of my old wounds from childhood. Past issues were resolving quicker, and my beliefs were expanding. It's a practice that takes discipline, but the reward is worth it. Late night studies and readings put me in touch with some interesting people. Word spread through testimonials, and I excelled at connecting to those who crossed over. Mediumship was a regular part of the services I offered. For example, just after Christmas, I received a call from a very distraught woman from the inner city of Detroit. She asked me to connect with her 12-year-old son. He was found dead In their apartment laundry room on Christmas Eve by his five year old sister. Without any other information but his name, I connected with him quickly. As he began showing me how he died, I relayed the information as accurately as I could. She was sobbing, saying, I knew it. I just knew it. It was clear that two people were responsible for his death a man and a woman. He innocently stumbled upon them in the laundry room while they were doing drugs. Unfortunately, since it was Christmas Eve, the police quickly dismissed the case as a suicide. My client overheard one of the officers say, let's wrap this up so I can get home for Christmas dinner, confirming her son didn't die by suicide. My client was relieved, but overwhelmed, and angry. She asked for direction on how to get his case reopened so she could get justice for her son. This boy was smart, got straight A's in school, and was looking forward to Christmas. He had gone to retrieve their laundry when he ran into the strung out pair, embroiled in a violent argument. Amid a physical altercation, the boy was accidentally killed. Before hiding in their apartment, the couple hung him from some loose cable wires to make it appear a suicide. It took a couple of years, but I received a call from her thanking me for the reading. She shared the good news that the police found the couple, a drug dealer, and a prostitute. They had lived in the building at the time, but had since moved out. Police arrested them, allowing the boy's family to move on. Unfortunately, the daughter that found the boy in the laundry room was experiencing PTSD. She hadn't spoken much since that day. After we ended the call, I wrote down the little girl's name, said a prayer, lit a candle, and asked the angels to heal her. Missing persons and murder investigation work began to occupy my nights. Doing mediumship work for the families of those missing pulled at my heart. One of my clients was a private investigator that requested help on a few of the cases she was working on. I agreed to help and partnered with her to try and bring closure for the families. Offering to work pro bono was my way of giving back. It felt good to be of service, and while heavy, I was unaware of the darker side to the work. Pam, the PI, asked for my help on a missing persons case in the Midwest. A seven-year-old girl went missing with no leads. Using her name and description, I connected with Spirit and asked for help locating her. With some coaxing, she came forward so that I could speak with her. I knew she was dead. But there was something strange about where her spirit was located. She hadn't fully crossed over, and she wasn't alone. Besides being extremely frightened, there was something else I had never experienced before. A darkness with a strong sense of evil was present. I quickly took notes as images, a location, and information flooded my mind. This beautiful, frightened child revealed everything she could recall. Her killer's nickname, the mobile home where he lived, the street, the house number. Before she disappeared, at least a dozen other girls were revealed, standing in the shadows behind her. As she faded, my guide started filling in the missing pieces. The killer was part of a satanic cult, and these murders were ritual killings. All the bodies were buried in a way that allowed him some sort of control in the astral realm. They couldn't cross over. They were stuck in a strange in-between place. I typed up my notes, ready to send them off. Thinking of the killer, I whispered, I got you. I was in tears, sick to my stomach, and desperate to help in whatever way I could. I called Pam, relaying all the information. She promised she'd let me know if there were any developments. Around 1 a.m., I had let Shasta out for her nightly run, be an escape artist. The only way to keep her from escaping was to let her out in the middle of the night. She usually ran for an hour and came home, scratching the door to be let in. Around 1.30 a.m., I heard the scratch. As I got up to let her in, I felt a little spooked, but shook it off. Opening the door, Shasta paused briefly. The thud of something she dropped at my feet shocked me. She never picked up anything in her mouth. Shasta ran past me, immediately climbing under my bed to hide. She was terrified. I flipped on the hall light. The sight I encountered was of a freshly severed deer head, with its tongue sticking out. At that exact moment, I heard a whispered sound in a creepy male voice, the words, I got you too. Shaken, I turned every light in the house on. Quickly locating a trash bag, I put the deer head in it and ran it to the trash bin. I came inside, locked the door, and checked all the windows. This guy wasn't anywhere near us, but his presence was palpable. I jumped on my computer and began messaging my psychic friends who were good at spiritual warfare. I explained the situation and begged for help. I had never considered a scenario like this. Not only did I locate him, but he knew who I was, energetically backtracing my connection to him. He was powerful. My friends and I jumped on a conference call and went into prayer. We cleared his energy and created a strong cube of protection with blackened walls so he couldn't read or connect to me. After an hour of additional prayer and cleansing, pure exhaustion set in as I laid on the couch. I woke up from a dream just as the sun was coming up. In the dream, angels surrounded me, reassuring me I would be safe from harm. There was nothing left to do but focus on work and help Shasta feel safe again. Two nights later, Pam called to say she was going to the address I had given her. It was a couple of states away, but she had to check it out. She was a retired police officer, fearless with great hunches. Pam drove to the address and discovered it was exactly as I described, right down to a sticker on the window next to the front door. After poking around, some not-so-friendly police officers showed up. She described the town as a rural, redneck kind of place. Things unraveled quickly as the police escorted her over the bridge and the state line, warning her not to return. She felt threatened, believing that something sinister was going on. Pam did more digging and found that the chief of police and the killer Were related. Unfortunately, the good old boy style of protecting relatives didn't allow for further investigation on her part. We didn't have a location of the bodies, so there was nothing we could do. I had to let it go somehow. Yet, it left me feeling heavy, depressed, and helpless. Weeks passed, but the heaviness I felt wasn't lifting. I made the decision I wouldn't do any more missing person investigations. I removed all references to being a medium from my website. I didn't want to make it easy for the killer to locate me. He scared the shit out of me. As soon as I decided to stop using my gifts that way, things started to shift. Letting go of the possibility of helping the kids was one of the hardest things for me to do. My guides explained that it was part of my education. I learned more about evil things done in the astral than I ever wanted to know. While I'm grateful I had a team of people to back me up when I got into trouble, I wasn't willing to take chances like that again. I learned new ways of protection, clearing, and setting up energetic grids. I learned how to consciously travel into the fourth dimension, tapping into those who crossed, doing my best to avoid the darker spirits that resided there. My knowledge of the dimensions helped me hone my gifts, making regular life much easier. Being a medium without control or a way to shut it off was interfering with my life. One time while driving through a small neighboring town, one such event nearly caused a car accident. Slowly driving down the main street, a boy on a skateboard jumped in front of my car. I went right through him. There was no sound when he hit my car. As I slammed on the brakes, all my passengers were flung forward, and the cars behind me began honking. It took a minute to realize he wasn't real and he was a ghost." Things like that happened quite frequently. It was always alarming. Spirit began to teach me that I could set rules, the spirit world obeyed, and life became more manageable. While I still offered mediumship to a select few, I let those who crossed over appear only when reading for someone or, if I was in meditation and wanted to connect, When a spirit wants my attention, flickers of light blink, my ears ring, or a sudden flash occurs that makes me stop and listen. It's made life much easier and allowed me to feel more in control of walking between worlds. Chapter 20, I'm not your mom. For a long time, Joshua, a little boy I began dreaming about almost nightly, started appearing in visions when I was awake. In 1995, when I first started receiving messages about moving to Colorado, I had dreams of him. He kept referring to me as Mama. When the dream started, I laughed it off. Now, five years later, I was bombarded in dreams and visions by his presence. His eyes were still gray, his smile sweet and innocent. I wasn't interested in having another child, aside from the fact that I was single. Nevertheless, this little boy kept appearing and calling me Mama. Finally, I told him, I'm not your mom. Can I maybe help you find her? Joshua wasn't convinced. He continued to follow me around the house quietly, or he'd pop up unexpectedly, as if waiting for me to acknowledge him. Usually, I just brushed it off, determined it would eventually make sense. Dream interpretation and symbology were a lot of fun for me. I began teaching a class in a Yahoo group. One of the students, green eyes underscore 24 underscore F, and I became close and would chat throughout the day. She was a gifted intuitive and empath who regularly attended the weekly group classes. During class, she began to divulge information from a dream she had. The dream was about Jesus flying her to a beautiful meadow by a river. Jesus landed on an old broken-down shed with her when a swarm of bees flew around them. She said it didn't scare her, since Jesus was there, and the bees didn't sting her. As she continued to describe that place, I began to have major concerns. The place she was describing was my sacred space, a place I created in meditation to meet with my guides, angels, and teachers. What was she doing there? It felt like a massive invasion of privacy. The class wrapped up quickly, and I decided to click on her name to ask her more about the dream. Just as I clicked to start a private message, I saw the name, GreenEyes underscore 24 underscore M. It wasn't her. In fact, it was a man. I demanded to know who this person was. He was just as confused as I was. While looking for help interpreting his dream, an invitation to my private class popped up. Strangely, I didn't invite him, and no one I knew did either. As we began to talk, he divulged that he was from Canada, and his name was Stan. He got into more of the details of the dream, which started to get even stranger. It was my sacred space, and the whole thing was making me angry. I told him I needed to meditate and ask my guides what the hell was going on. Upset and shaken, I went into meditation, asking for guidance. Jesus appeared, calmed me, and confirmed the dream. He said that it was important that we keep an open mind until more was revealed. With that, I felt more peaceful, knowing that whoever this was, I was meant to speak to him. My screen name at the time was Bee, the Psychic Vampire Slayer, recently changed from Bee's is a Girl. The reference to the old shack and swarm of bees suddenly made sense. Spirit was directing him to me. And all the synchronicities that lined up were confirmation to both of us. After hours of chatting, we began to develop a relationship. Weeks later, we arranged for him to fly out for a visit. It all fell into place quickly, which was a sign that it was happening for a reason. During our visit, we hit it off immediately We had ease with each other, even though he was nine years younger than me. We were soulmates of some kind, which added intensity to the mix. Within a month of returning to Canada, he made plans to return to Colorado permanently. Stan began driving from Canada to Colorado, but there was a problem with getting his car across the border— we had to figure out how to get him and his cat to the Southwest in a pinch. In need of cash, I prayed for a solution. My friend, Green Eyes 24 f messaged me that her boyfriend proposed marriage. She wanted to share her good news, even though they didn't have a ring yet. An image of the engagement ring worth $5,000 Mike had given me flashed in my mind. I asked her if they would be interested in buying it for $800, which was just enough to pay for airline travel. She was overjoyed she made arrangements to wire the money, and just like that, a solution was in hand. Locating an airport within driving distance from me became a challenge. A cold winter front had moved in, and planes were only taking pets as far as Las Vegas. Everything was working out. I made the ticket purchase and planned my drive. Within a few days, Stan was on a plane with his cat, arriving in Vegas. Brindy and I, along with Shasta, drove 10 hours to meet him. While confident we were meant to be together, things were moving at the speed of light. Little did I know, they were going to move even faster. Stan and I had already discussed getting married since it was the only way for him to stay in the States with me. With all the maneuvering to get him here and the unexpected trip to Vegas, we decided to tie the knot while we were there. Three days later, we pulled up to our house with two new members of the family life had become a whirlwind of unexpected events, synchronicities, and circumstances. It took a few weeks for things to calm down and reality to set in. I was married again. We had to hire an immigration lawyer, and we had to make a plan for our lives. Brindy was nine years old at the time, and I wasn't planning on having more children. However, Marriage to a younger man created a need for me to consider the possibility. Stan was only 25 years old, but I was 34 and considered a high risk for problems with pregnancy. As soon as I agreed to have another child, only days passed before I conceived. Both Stan and I knew the moment of conception. I shared the visions and dreams of Joshua with him. He didn't seem shocked or surprised. Convinced I was having a boy, a doctor confirmed my pregnancy the following week. Living a life led by spirit was exciting, but I'd lie if I didn't tell you I had reservations, fears, or doubts. Throughout my pregnancy, I was sure I was meant to bring the little spirit of Joshua into the world. However, I wasn't confident that Stan and I were going to make it. Months into my pregnancy and our marriage, we began to disagree on every issue. Right before the end of my first trimester, Stan wanted to call it quits. He didn't want to be married, and he didn't want to have a child together. Somehow, we patched things up and held our marriage together, albeit by a thread. While not a blissful relationship, as soulmates, we were undoubtedly causing growth for each other. Just before my due date, I received shocking news from the midwife I'd hired and paid in full. She had lost a breech baby during delivery due to complications and she was quitting. With only two weeks to go, I needed a miracle. Calling on my guides and angels, I demanded a solution to calm my nerves. Jen, the midwife's assistant, contacted me within hours. While she wasn't certified yet, she was willing to be at my delivery, unofficially. I felt confident she would know what to do if there were any complications. Faith paid off again, and my peace of mind was restored. On January 22nd, I began having stomach pains and feeling irritable around 8 p.m. I wasn't sure what labor felt like since I had so many drugs with Brindy's birth. We called Jen, telling her it was possible I was in labor. Answering questions and timing the cramps, she confirmed labor had begun, and she was on her way. Trying to relax, I decided to take a warm bath. By the time Jen arrived, it was well after 10 p.m., and the contractions were regular but not unbearable. I sat in a candlelit room, rocking gently, staring at the moon, By 2 a.m., I couldn't get comfortable, no matter what I did. I wanted to be fully present, both for this birth and thought I had planned well for this miracle. As I began to hit transition, all I could do was lie in bed as the pain increased. At one point, Jen checked my progress, encouraging me to rest as much as possible. I had closed my eyes tightly, afraid to open them, and terrified of making the pain more intense. I remember grabbing her hand and begging her to tell me how many more contractions before the baby would come out. She laughed. I'm not the psychic, honey. You are. For what seemed like an eternity, she coached me to ride the pain like ocean waves that crested before calming. Finally... On January 23rd at 4 a.m., I delivered a healthy baby girl in my own bed at home. While not the boy I was expecting, her steel gray eyes were unmistakably the same as Joshua's. Ironically, we had only chosen a boy name, but decided days before to pick a girl name just in case. Isabella, meaning God's promise. Perfectly described the spirit that spent five years convincing me to be a mother a second time. Some cultures believe children born with steel gray eyes are gifted seers and healers. I had a strong sense she was both. Bella's eyes were striking and intense. One day while shopping at Walmart, with her feet sticking out of the car seat in a shopping cart, she got the attention of an older man. The man walked right up to her, smiled, and asked if he could touch her feet. Bella stared right into his eyes intently. He was mesmerized by her, mentioning he had been sad until he saw her. Touching her feet, he smiled, straightened his posture, and walked away smiling. Powerfully gifted with telepathy, Bella taught me quickly how to recognize someone else's thoughts and intentions. At age one, I started to notice her quiet, piercing stares, as if she was searching your soul. By age two, I realized she was not just staring. She was reading people's energy. Whenever meeting someone for the first time, Bella would stare at them, sometimes getting them to do things for her without saying a word. When my dad moved in with us, she sized him up quickly, and I swear she dropped ideas right into his head without detection. Her preschool teacher said a few things that made me think she was a victim of Bella's telepathy, too. She reminded me a lot of myself as a child. I knew she was sensitive and would need to learn how to protect herself. Before Bella's birth, we had been making plans to build a bigger house. Four people in a two bedroom were cramped, primarily because I worked from home. Stan wasn't working, so he took care of Bella while I worked. We learned about homes that the local building trades class at the community college built once a year and auctioned. One of my friends bought one at an incredible price. After viewing the Southwest-style house, it seemed perfect for our growing family. Stan thought we should have a larger space than the three-bedroom, two-bath house. We decided we would bid on the college house after discovering that the slope to our land would allow us to build a floor underneath and connect it to the house from the college. While different, we would end up with a much bigger home at a fraction of the cost of building the whole thing from scratch. It was time to manifest the winning bid on the college-built house and a construction loan to build a bottom floor. Auction day came quickly. We kept our spirits high sure that we would win the bid. The bids were opened at 5 p.m. We had the winning bid. I had to get a loan from the bank to build the bottom floor, move the college house to our property 45 miles away, and have it placed on the constructed bottom floor. It seemed like a crazy project. I didn't want a simple basement under the top floor. I had a vision of lots of windows. But crazy or not... I was determined to make it all happen. Stan wasn't employed, even though he was a permanent resident, which meant it all fell on my shoulders to make it happen. Within a week, I secured a construction loan, lined up contractors, and kicked off the project as the general contractor. My dream of building a home manifested through a series of mishaps, long days, and help from both the seen and unseen realms. There were days I was so tired I wanted to give up. The project went way over budget, leaving my income to cover any extra expenses. Then, the stucco contractor quit without finishing the job, stealing the money I had given him for supplies. Thankfully, his crew of 18-year-old helpers was willing to finish the job. One day... Working in my office after the stucco contractor had stopped showing up, one of my guides decided to help motivate the remaining stucco crew. They knew I was a psychic, but none of them asked questions or gave it much thought. Then as I was hanging up a call, one of the boys came barreling into my office, confused and concerned. An old Native American man dressed in cowboy boots and a hat had appeared to all three boys on the crew. He was supervising the work and keeping watch. As he told me what happened, I instantly knew it was one of my guides, one with a sense of humor. I explained that they had seen one of my guides, a protector, ensuring the house got built on time. I did my best to impress upon them the need for efficient, quality work, especially with my guide forcibly making his presence known. The boys accepted it, and while slightly shaken, they took it seriously. Their pace and quality of work improved immediately. We finished the project on time, with all hands on deck, receiving the certificate of occupancy on the construction loan deadline. If we hadn't received it, we would have to pay high interest until it could be converted to a standard home loan. You can imagine my relief when we finished. There is nothing we can't accomplish, manifest, or create. It is only the fears and doubts in our minds that hold us back. Manifesting and construction of our new home tested my faith and patience daily. Anytime I became overwhelmed by my exhaustion and sheer effort, I was surprised by divine providence. Money, resources, supplies, and help all arrived at the perfect moment. The house was huge. 3,248 square feet, five bedrooms, four baths, sitting on just over two acres. I couldn't believe how much life had changed or how much I had created since leaving San Diego. Broke and uncertain. Thanks for joining me on this episode of The Gold Factor Podcast. Want some free resources? Well, join my Facebook community, a group of heart-centered, ambitious individuals just like you. Just go and visit the link in the description, or you can go to facebook.com forward slash groups, The Gold Factor. And remember, if you're enjoying the book so far, follow the podcast leave a review I would really appreciate it as we're launching and growing the podcast and share it on social media all right I'll see you in the next episode have a great day be blessed and be a blessing